we embark in, in this beautiful, wonderful uh, study in the book of Genesis, let's ask God's blessing with our Bibles in our hands. Father, we are so, so grateful for the Word. And I pray this evening, God, that you would teach us and that you would rekindle in our hearts this first Wednesday night of this new year to recommitting ourselves to studying your Word. We do that together, Lord, in this formal setting, but I pray that you would give each of us a heart's desire to study it individually, to study it at home, to read and to think and to ask and to pray over your word. Lord, what insights you'll give, what truth you reveal, and your word, Lord, is so powerful, it's so wonderful. Lord, we see the power of your your divine fiat this evening as we discover uh, these opening verses of Genesis. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, teach us this uh, as we commit ourselves to this study. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in this, uh, again, a very appropriate place for us on this first Wednesday night, uh, going back to the very beginning, to uh, the book of beginnings, Genesis, and it really is an epic journey when you study this book. I don't know if, if uh, many of you have studied before in a formal setting or, or maybe you've uh, followed uh, another Bible teacher or another church and, and uh, that pastor's taught through the book of Genesis. It's, it is a long book and it's an Old Testament, but what a fantastic book it is. Um, the book of beginnings or the book of origins, as it's called. Now, I don't know how long this series is going to take, and I need somebody to tell me right now, Pastor, it's okay, go as long as you want. Go ahead and say that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, now I've been given, not just tonight, but, but I don't know, months, we're going to be in this study for quite a while. And I hope that you'll commit yourself, dedicate yourself. I know there's some people online tonight, uh, they called and said, hey, is it going to be on, on the web because we're sick, and you know, a lot of people sick. But we're going to do our best to have it on video. Ricky's doing a great job with that, and, and you'll be able to view it online if you're not able to be here. But uh, we're going to take some time, and uh, tonight I'm going to do an introduction and launch into this first couple of words in the first verse of the first chapter. Uh, that's probably as far as I'm going to get, but, but uh, we'll get deeper and deeper as we, we move along. Next week, we'll jump further into chapter one, but over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the account of creation. We're going to look deeply at it through the scripture as we study. And, and I pray that the Lord would reveal to you, as he reveals to me, his truth about creation. All the world and the, the earth and its fullness is his. None of this is ours. It's all his. It all belongs to him. And uh, so... Here we come to this first book. I don't know what uh, edition of the Bible that you study. I read from the New King James Version. I was raised on the King Jimmy, and, and I love to read that still, but, but when I teach, I, 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 my tongue gets tied on the these and thou, so, so I've elected to use this version. But um, the author, obviously, is Moses, and most of us know that, but he is the prophet and the deliverer of God's people. The first 11 chapters uh, of this book are interesting. The first five of those were written by the man Moses, Genesis, 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called, some of you know, the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five, the first five books of the Bible. Moses is the one that wrote them. Now, obviously, Moses being a man got his inspiration from who? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Trinity. And so it, the, the writer of the scripture really is the Holy Spirit, God himself. But God inspired men. And in this case, Moses was the one that was given. Remember, he's the one that went up on the mountain, Mount Moriah. And on that mountain, he was given information about uh, and, and given all this, this text, and, and he, he brought back two tablets of stone with loss, but, but God gave him more information. He was able to write these first five books of our Bible. Now, Jesus confirmed that Moses was the author, that he wrote some of the Bible. Notice the verse behind me on the screen, John 5, 46. Jesus says, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, but if you don't believe his writings, that's a reference to this section that we're in, the book of Genesis, the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis is the history of the people of Israel. It's about their origins, their journeys, their covenants with God, the, the wonderful thing. We're going to look at all of those things. But again, as I've said, the first 11 chapters is a history of the human race, including creation, the flood, we're going to get into that. It's going to be exciting. Chapter 3. Everybody knows what chapter 3 is. It's, it's when sin entered the world and, and fellowship between man and God was broken. Chapter 3. Very important for us to understand what is the origin of sin in the heart of man. And then we see the covenants, the, the great covenants with Abraham, beginning in chapter 12, and, and the children of Israel, God's chosen people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of God's promises to those people, and how God chose those people and called them out specifically to dispense his blessings and his grace to the world, which he did, because from the beginning of time, God planned to send his son. Genesis really is our foundation for redemption. And you thought that it was when you became born again and you met Christ that that's when it all began. But no, it didn't begin there. It begins right here in the book of Genesis. And through this book, we see the, the scarlet thread, as it were, of redemption. It begins in the book of Genesis. Sin in chapter 3, God's covenant, chapter 12, with Abraham and his people, and ultimately fulfilled in Jesus being one of those chosen, the Jew himself, came and lived a sinless life, dying on the cross, the scarlet thread of redemption throughout the Bible, but beginning in the book of Genesis. It's, it's in this book that God sets the stage for redemption through Christ. Now, just a word of, I'm sure you know this already, I probably don't even have to say this, but but my view as I teach is from a pastor's perspective. I'm not a scientist. In fact, may I just ask, are there any scientists here? I know that there is one in our fellowship um, who is a geologist. He's an engineering geologist, and I talked to Richard. He's going to Israel with us in a couple. I'm going to have some time to spend with Richard uh, going to Israel in, a, in about five weeks. And we're going to talk a lot about that. He's going to see things. This guy is going to go nuts when he sees these places that we're going to go to. 
He's going to love it. But, but I'm not a scientist. I'm not a geologist like Richard is. Or, or I, I, I almost hate to say I, I didn't do too well in science or biology in high school and college. I, I don't know if you did either, but I, I don't know if I could pass a test at this point. But here's the point. My perspective is, is theological. I'm going to teach what the scriptures uh, uh, teach. And so that's the perspective that I bring. I, I'm going to take the biblical text and I'm going to uh, break it down the best I understand. I'm going to read other sources. I read quite a few uh, in preparation for tonight. But here's, here's where I begin with this. Even before we begin to read this first verse, um, number one, I believe, and I think this is very important for you to know, and you should understand this too. I believe in the verbal, um, uh, plenary, inspirational view of the scriptures. Verbal, plenary, inspirational view of the scriptures. Now, that's, again, a theological term, and I know some of you understand that. Verbal, that's the words. Plenary, that means all of them. Inspirational, meaning it comes from God. That's the view I see of the scriptures. I believe in every word, all of them, verbal, plenary, inspirational view. Very important for you to understand that. That's my approach when I come to the word of God. I believe it. I believe that every word is true so that when I read Genesis chapter 1, boy, does it mean a lot to me. If you'll approach it in that way and not approach it, uh, not approach it from a humanistic viewpoint, not approach it from a point that, that's just scientific, but, but faith, by faith, come to the Word of God. As you read it, you'll get so much out of it. You'll, you'll understand it, I believe, so much the more. So in the Scriptures, the Scriptures clearly teach that, that all Scripture is given by inspiration. Notice the, notice the verse behind me, 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul told Timothy, a Bible teacher, a pastor, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction, and righteousness. All of it, not some of it, not the pieces you believe are, but all of scripture, and we believe it's the word, every word, that it's inspired by God. So that's my approach. Secondly, I approach it this way, that God is revealed by his creation, by, uh, that's what I love about being outdoors. I wore my hunting shirt tonight. I love being outdoors. I love being in the mountains. I love walking around in the forest. Barry and I did that this year a little bit. I had a lot of fun. Love that. Do you love being outdoors? Do you love to look in the sky at night? Maybe not tonight, you'll get wet, but you look up into the, in the sky and you see the stars. Do you ever wonder? When you see how, or you go, some people love the ocean. I don't love it, but some people do, and they stand before the ocean, and the breakers come, and they, they look at the vast open spaces, and it just makes them go, wow, God is so big. Are, are you like that? Do you wonder like that? I really believe that God reveals himself in creation, and the Bible specifically says that you can know God by seeing or looking at creation. What we see in the created wor world tells us that there's a God. Because there's design all around us, we know that there is a designer, right? And so but based on what we see in the world, we know that there is a God. Psalm 19, this is a great verse. Notice behind me. The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, it utters its speech, and night unto night, it reveals knowledge. Now, do you look at the universe that way? Do you look at the mountains and the sky that way? I do. I, I love to just look and, oh, Lord, you're so good. You're, well, my problems begin to shrink when I, I put myself in the universe and I see how vast it is and how wonderful it is because God created it all and he, he owns it all. And I, I, I'm a child of his. And he can handle my, my little teeny itty-bitty problem on this teeny little planet. He can handle it. So, so I love to look at the Lord. The, the text here, again, uh, we look at it theologically. It's very important that we look at that for the existence of God. Again, we have a purposeful, intelligent designer because the heavens declare the glory of God. The natural world reveals incredible signs of design. If there's a design, there's a designer. Paul says this in the New Testament, Romans 1, verse 20. Notice behind me. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, notice, they're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who are they? The non-believer. So the non-believer is without excuse. The, the people that that are in some jungle or people that are in some faraway country that has no internet, no TV, no, which is hard to imagine anymore, right? Someone that's never heard the gospel before. They're, they're without excuse because they can see God's design in nature and they know there's a creator, a, a designer. So we can study God a little bit from the scriptures, but we can't really put him under a microscope, right? We can't really see all the little intricacies of him. We can't test him in a laboratory, but we can know the things that he chooses to reveal, nature and in his word. These are our two sources of truth as Christians. This is, this is our source of truth, the Bible, and he chooses to reveal certain things. There are other things that he doesn't reveal. That's when you and I have questions. Lord, why, why do you do that? Or why, why is, we don't know. There's areas that we just don't know. God doesn't want us to know that. But there are other things that he does want us to know clearly in the scriptures. And as we look into the universe, he reveals who he is. Now, this, is, this really is huge, not only creation, but what we believe about Genesis and about the Bible. When you view the scripture as truth and every word of it, it will open up your understanding in other areas of the Scripture, the New Testament. It will just widely, vastly open up the rest of the Scripture as you come to the Genesis account. You will either believe that God created the heavens and the earth, or you will believe that it just evolved by chance. There's really only two ways to, to consider the creation of the world, the, the oceans, the stars, the moon, the planets. There's two ways. You either believe God created it or you believe that it just happened through random chance. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Those really are the only two places that you can take. Now, you might argue. There are many people that like to, love to argue about where they stand and what they think and tell you this and say, but really, those are the only two places that you can stand. Believing that God created 
or believe that everything evolved by chance without cause. There's really no other option. Now, here's what God's Word says. Here's our opportunity to finally get to His Word here. Notice with me in the, just this first verse, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, these five words are God's description of what He's done. And there's more details, and we're going to look at that in chapter 2, or 1 and 2. And it's going to take a few weeks to get that far. But these verses are very important. These five words, notice, we have the beginning. In the beginning, that speaks of what? Time. In the beginning. In terms of time, the beginning. And then we have God. That refers to the power or the force. It's God. In the beginning, there's this force, and it's God. And then we have the action he created. This is God's action. He's, he's creating. And then we have the known and, and the unknown universe. There's things that we see, but there's other things on the other side of the things we see. Every year, they're seeing further and further and further in the universe. They're seeing more and more and more. But that's the heavens. And then we have, notice in verse 1, and the earth. Now, that's a reference, interestingly, not to just this planet, but to matter. In the beginning, you have God and his, the heavens and matter. That's, that's what we're starting with. This is this first beginning here, this first sentence here in Genesis 1. It's really a fantastic verse. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to look at it from several different angles, but here's the, 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 the reality of this. You either believe that or you don't. If you come to it theologically, if you come to it by faith, if you come to it like I am approaching it, not as a scientist but as a pastor, if you come to that and you read that verse, you just have to receive it that way. If you don't receive it that way, then you believe in chance. You believe in evolution. You believe in, in some kind of random acts that just kind of fell together and came together into what you now know as reality, which is really hard to believe. You've got to have a lot of faith to believe that. So again, I, I love this here. You're left with chance or randomness or coincidence if you don't believe this verse. Verbally, plenary, inspirational view. That's how I approach this. I believe it. So when it says that, God created the heavens and the earth, I believe it. I, I take it literally there. I don't believe in chance or randomness. And think about chance for a little bit. What is chance anyway? What is that? Chance. It's, it's like a mathematical thing. You know, you, you have a percentage. You might win. You might, it might work out. It's chance. But, but think about chance. Is it anything? Does it mean anything? It really doesn't mean anything at all when you think about chance. Think about it. I believe God has a purpose. I believe God designed. I believe that God created in the beginning, as he says right here uh, in the scriptures. So either you believe the Bible or you don't. You either believe the book of Genesis is true and accurate or you don't. That's really the bottom line. Now, some people say, no, no wait a minute. Uh, Pastor Lee, I'm one of those theistic evolutionists. That's what I am. I'm a theistic evolutionist. I don't want to put you down 
yet. But, but they're the people that say this. They're, they say that God started it all, and then evolution took over. So, so God was the creating force at the very beginning, and then he just kind of, he walked off and went somewhere else, and he doesn't care what goes on in the universe which is entirely not true. As we read the Bible, God is engaged now as he has always been engaged. He's never left. But the theistic evolutionist believes that they deny this Genesis account of six literal days of creation. They deny it. Again, I approach this literally. I I believe what it says. And I'm going to prove that as we go through. I will put you down if you have another view uh, but, but again, I believe that we come to the Scripture as God has given us the Scripture. We don't try to change it just because it, it doesn't fit our view. It's more important for me to, to, God, teach me and show me what your Word says and be humble, come to the Word that way, than, rather than saying, you know what, I, I just don't agree with that. I think the writer didn't write it right. I, I think I have a better explanation for the universe. Really? What is it? Well, that, that God started it all, and then it, there was billions and billions and billions of years, and then, and then he jumped back in and, and interacted and then left again, and billions and billions of years went on. That's not what the Scriptures teach in terms of the creation account. And that's what we're going to be look at, looking at. So the theistic evolutionist believes that, that God started it, and then it, he, he just let it go in billions of years. Then there's the progressive creationists. They say that creation did not occur, as Genesis says, but, but again, happened over a long period of time. God did some work here, and then he withdrew, and then he did a little bit more work, progressed, and then he withdrew, and then he came back. And again, what they're, what they're trying to do is taking, in my opinion, modern science of evolution in billions of years and trying to make the Bible kind of fit with modern science rather than taking God's word the way it's written. Some people call it the gap theory. There's all these different theories. I've looked at them over the years. Again, I haven't studied them so much so that I can articulate and argue them, and I don't want to argue with anybody. But I'm I'm just trying to give you a little taste of these things so that as we move through this or get into the section, you'll understand my view so so that we can be on the same page, kind of go in the same direction. Both of those views deny the straightforward text. This is my point. The, the, either the, the, the theistic evolutionist or the progressive creationist views, the gap theory. Both of those deny just the straightforward text, just this, read it in your Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The, the, basically, they just deny that. They add to it. They, they cut it up. They slice it. They say there's a gap between chapter or verse 1 and verse 2. But that's why I say you either believe in Genesis or you don't. Again, I believe all the Scripture is true. And as I read it, sometimes I don't like what it says. Sometimes it offends me. And I say, how could you do that, God? And then I come to that point and, and I see that God is revealing something to me again. And so it's important for me to, to receive God's Word as it's written. Now, it's even more critical if you're a college or, or high school student. Um, you are learning, and I learned as growing up right here in schools in San Bernardino, Barton Elementary, Double Junior High, San Gregorio High School, San Bernardino Valley College. 
I learned in these institutions of learning all about evolution. It was all about evolution. Very rarely did you hear evolution as a theory, right? It was taught evolution as a fact, and if you brought anything against that, you were seen as dumb, stupid, religious. We don't want to hear you. We don't want to hear your opinion. You know, it's interesting. In the last 10 years or so, we're hearing more about uh, intelligent design. Isn't that interesting? Because, because random choice or chance, random chance and coincidence doesn't fly when it comes to science, does it? It doesn't work. And so they've been trying to use Darwin and all that stuff for years, and finally, the, that didn't work anymore. So now you're hearing more about intelligent design. Still, these people don't want to acknowledge that there's a creator. And the reason is this. You know why? Because he's going to judge them. That's why. And they don't want to be judged. They don't want to acknowledge that there's a God that, and he's a moral God and they have, they're culpable to this moral God. And so they get rid of him. They want to get rid of him by saying, it wasn't a God and we aren't culpable. And it was science and, and it was evolution and it was this mutation of a species that turned into, from a fish to a, a monkey to a man. And we laugh at that now. I, I think most of the world laughs at that if you're really open and understanding. So it's very, very important for us to understand, critical if you're a student, that through random chance over billions of years, things, this is what they teach, that things have evolved without a creator. That is not what the scriptures teach. That's what the schools teach, but not what the scriptures teach. The biblical worldview in Genesis 1 is right here, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything. God created it all. Evolution says the universe is created by chance. The biblical worldview says the universe was created by God with a specific purpose. Evolution says man is the product of time plus chance plus matter. The biblical worldview is that man was created in the image of God. And therefore, man has purpose and man has dignity, something that the animal life doesn't have or plant life. And man was made in God's image and he has value and dignity. Evolution says man is a product of chance, therefore... Man has no real purpose in life. He's like all other living things. I have a quote behind me by the, the leader of PETA. You guys know PETA? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They elevate animals to a higher plane than humans. The leader, Ingrid Newark. You can Google this if you want. Go ahead. It, it, I found it too. She says this, A rat is a pig is a dog is a boy. Do you, do you see what she's saying there? She's saying that man is no different than animals. In fact, you know and you see every once in a while some radical, crazy nutcase, nut job is on the TV news or whatever, and they talk about how the rainforest is, and whales are more important than, than human life. And we need, to, we need to stop feeding so many people and, because there's too many people on the planet. You've heard that before. These people have that view. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. Evolutionists believe that man is no different than animals, so save the whales, but kill the babies. You see, biblical morality gives value to humans. 
It's only in biblical value because uh, uh, people that don't have a biblical worldview, and you can see dictators throughout the ages and what they did, they, they slaughtered people by the millions because they didn't have a, a biblical worldview. They didn't believe more than evolution, that we were all just product of chance. Hitler, interestingly, killed six million Jews. In fact, you don't hear this very often, but he killed every black he ever saw. He killed all the gypsies because he saw them as half-breeds too. He was a murderer. Why? Not because he was a Christian. He was not a Christian at all. He was an evolutionist, and he believed that, that strength and power, survival of the what? Fittest. You know that. He, he believed that in strength, the state had so much strength, they could do whatever they They could make a law saying that, that a Jew has no right to live. And so they killed six million and all these other people they, they didn't think were their perfect race. Stalin killed 12 million of his own people. They had no value, no dignity. They were just subjects of the state without the Bible, without that view. You don't have morality. It's so, so important. Again, we get this from the scriptures. And the greatest atrocities committed against people in human history have been done by evolution's theory and survival of the fittest. Now, the biblical worldview is that man is created in the image of God and each one of us has value in his sight. That morality is defined by God and his holiness. And we have his image stamped upon us. That's why we know right from wrong. We know what's right and what's wrong because we have been made in God's image. Morality to the evolutionist is relative. It's only relative because every person is his own final authority in what's right. Can I just say Bruce Jenner and you understand what I'm saying? There's no morality. There's no right and wrong. I can be who I want to be. And we see that bathroom law in California. It's, it's so anti-God. It's, it's hideous to think that your daughter in high school might have some guy walk into the shower because he feels like a, not a guy anymore. I heard in the news last night there's some laws in either San Francisco or New York where they're going to uh, fine anyone that does not address a transgender in their newly chosen gender. So if he's a mister, but you call him, and you call him mister, but he wants to be a missus, and you say mister, and he wants to be a missus, he can fine you, and there can, there's some legal goings-on right now that you could possibly be fined for. Is that, is that not crazy? There's no morality without God. But you and I have been made in the image of God. A biblical worldview gives us that, that whole view of, of morality. As a Christian, we believe, and, and as a Bible Christian, we believe that there's an eternal afterlife. That God, in the afterlife, will meet him that there's a place called heaven. That's, that's a, a biblical world view. An evolutionist says there's no afterlife, just, just annihilation, just we live, 
We do as much we can to other people and get as much as we can, and we die and we're gone and poof, that's it, annihilated. That's what they believe. Personal extinction. You live, you die, that's all. No purpose, no meaning. How sad. No wonder people commit suicide. No wonder people do heinous acts. There's no reason to live. But for the Bible-believing Christian, we have a future and hope beyond this life. And it's here in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, with a doctrine of creation that's foundational to all of this. So listen, if you don't believe what these first verses say right here, that's why I'm spending so much time here. If you don't believe these words, then how can you believe any of the scriptures? If you don't believe this account of creation, that God did it by his own power, by his own mouth, by his own divine fiat, if you don't believe that God has done that, then how can you believe that Jesus is your Savior? How can you believe that Jesus says, I and the Father are one? How can you believe anything in the New Testament? If you don't believe God created, if you don't believe the beginnings, how can you believe anything else in the Scripture? It's a great question. Henry Morris says this. He's a, now, he's a geologist. Uh, the, one of the best commentaries on on Genesis is Dr. Henry Morris from the Creation uh, Research Institute down in San Diego. Uh, he's a geologist and a theologian. This is what he says. I think it's behind me there. The only proper way to interpret Genesis 1 is not to interpret it at all. That is, we accept the fact that it was meant to say exactly what it says. And I say amen to that. Th that is how we're to come and approach this book. So here's the question. What does it say? What does Genesis 1 say? Now let's look at it here. The, these first four words, in the beginning, God. Now here's your Hebrew lesson for the night. In the beginning is the word reshith, and the word for God in Hebrew is Elohim. Reshith Elohim is what he's saying. So you're going to Israel with me in, a, in five weeks. You've got to learn these things. Reshith Elohim. That's what these first four words in the English, they come from those Hebrew words, Elohim. Now, Elohim is a really interesting word grammatically in the Hebrew. It's actually a word that means plural. So when, it, when, when the Jew, they wouldn't mention his name, but here in the scripture, the name is given to God, Elohim. And Elohim is a plural word. Right from the get-go, right from the beginning, we have this trinity being revealed to us. I truly see that, and I believe that. One of the commentators I read, Clark, says, from the beginning, we see the trinity and unity expressed in this word, Elohim. And Paul recognizes that not only the Father and this word Elohim here in in uh, Genesis 1, but also the Son, the second member, the second person of the Trinity. Notice what he says in Colossians 1.16, for by him, speaking of Christ, all things were created. Paul is saying that Jesus created all things. So in this word Elohim in Genesis 1, we have the Father, the Creator, and we have the Son. Paul says, uh, all things were created that were in heaven and that are on the earth, visible, invisible, Thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Again, that name Elohim. It's the plural 
form. It indicates the Father created and the Son created and the Holy Spirit was there. We're going to see that later in our study tonight. All eternal. The Bible teaches that God has always existed. There's never been a time when he has not existed. And his name is given here, Elohim. It's a plural name. It includes the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In he, uh, John 17, John 17, verse 5, Jesus says this, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself which, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then verse 24 of chapter 17, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Again, another proof text indicating that Jesus is God, that Jesus is eternal, that God is eternal. Reshith Elohim, in the beginning, God. Hebrews 1.10, look at this verse. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Throughout the scripture, we see creation, God involved in creation. And Genesis 1 tells us that God created everything in the universe. He created it. He owns it. It all belongs to him, everything, all of it. And it all started with God. Again, here it is, Reshith in the beginning, Elohim. And then here's another word. What's the next word? Created. That's the word bara. So it's Reshith, Elohim, bara. Bara is the Hebrew word that means out of nothing, something created out of nothing. Not something created with elements, but something created out of nothing, bara, with no prior existing matter, with no prior existing energy. God created Rashith, Elohim, Braha. What a beautiful thing. I, I, I love the phrase and I love the truth here. I read an illustration just for a break here. We need a break. Here's a funny illustration about creation. A group of scientists got together and decided they no longer needed God. One of them said, God, we decided we no longer need you. We, we can do quite well through our science. We can clone people now. We can make body parts. So we just don't need you anymore. So God says, okay, let's have a man-making contest. Just like in the days of Adam, the scientist agreed and bent down to grab some earth. And God said, no, 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 you get your own dirt. <laughs> God created the known universe from nothing, nothing. He created matter. That's why this first verse is so important, that God, and we're going to see that, God creates matter, and, and the earth is formless and, and void. There's nothing, but there's matter there. We're, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the question, my next question here is, how did he create? And I love this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump forward because I don't want to be stagnant. We're going to go back and do these verses again, but look at verse 3. Then God said, how did God create? He spoke. It says, then God said, let there be light. Look at verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters. Again, God simply speaks and it becomes. Isn't that a mind blower? I, but I love it. Don't you love that? I love the, the power of God, the force of God. Luke Skywalker has got nothing on God. The power of God. I mean, think about it. 
And, and here's another interesting thought as I was studying today. This popped in, into my mind. Isn't that how Jesus created when he was a man on this planet? Do you remember the very first miracle he did? What was it? He turned water into wine. He was at a wedding, and he's just hanging out with everybody that was invited to the wedding. Most scholars believe it was one of his sisters that was getting married. His mom's running around frantically. There's not enough wine. There's not enough wine. Jesus, would you make some more wine? Remember what he said? He said, woman, it isn't my time. What are you asking me this for? You can read the story in John chapter 2 if you want. And, and she turns to the stewards, and, and notice the verse behind me, John 2, 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Why? Because I'll bet you in his lifetime growing up at home, even though it's not revealed in the scripture, he did some stuff that was miraculous, and his mom knew that he could do it. Jesus, Jesus, we need some wine. Mom. <laughs> hey, you guys, just whatever he says, go ahead, son, do it. Off she goes running to tend to the wedding. And he turns water into wine. His first public spoke it. God spoke everything into existence. That's the, the beautiful truth here. I love that. God spoke it and it was. That is power. And when God spoke everything he created, here's, now listen to this. When God created the heavens and the earth, you know how he made it? He made it all complete or mature. Everything that he made was fully developed. What do I mean? Well, next week I'm going to go deeper into this, but, but in verse 3 where we see the first day that God made light and darkness. And the second day he made the heavens. Third day he made the earth. Fourth day he made the sun, moon, and stars. The progression of, of creation as we go through chapter 1, the fifth day fish and birds, the sixth day cattle, and then finally the crowning point of his creation was man, the last thing he made on the sixth day. And everything he made was what? Good. You remember. It was good. It was what he wanted to be. That means it was mature. In other words, he didn't make Adam an embryo. He didn't make Adam a baby. He didn't make Adam a little child. What did he make man? Adam. I blew it, didn't I? <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. He made Adam a fully grown, mature man. That means when he made the universe, he made it all mature. He made it all. It was all good. It was what it was. When he made a tree, it was a fully developed tree. It wasn't a seed. When he made a chicken, he didn't make an egg. Isn't that a great thought? It was a chicken. So the chicken came before? That's right. <laughs> You can get a lot out of the scriptures when you just think about it. God didn't start with partial light or partial energy. He created the, the, the universe fully mature. He made rocks and dirt as if they were billions of years old. Well, these rocks were billions of years old. That's, see, this, this gives me so much uh, more belief in a young earth. And I, I'll say theory. I'm not going to blow anybody's basket or thoughts. If you have thoughts about the earth being 10,000 or 20,000 years old, you can go ahead with that. I, I believe it's a young earth. I think there's a lot of things that, that um, substantiate that. But I believe that when God created everything, he made it full-grown, mature, 
whether it be plants, animals, humans. And it happened just like Jesus turned the water into wine. It happened instantly when God spoke. So God created everything. That's what it says in verse 1. Rashith Elohim bara. And then it says the heavens and the earth. Now, we're only going to get a little further tonight. I'm going to go into day one. Here we go, day one. But verse 2 through 31 breaks into the sequence of, of his creation. And we begin here with day one. And I'm just going to read this, but next week we're going to come back here. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. There's speaking. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. He called the, day, the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day, or one cycle. Now, Moses is going to give us three different phases here. And just this first little section here, verse 2, we're just going to look at verse 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moses gives these three phrases. I'm going to put them up behind me so you can see. The first one is formless and void. It says, the earth was, form, was without form and void. And so that, that's this first one. And these, very interesting, it describes, this describes, the, the word formless describes like a waste place. The, the word in the Hebrew just, it's undeveloped. It's, it's a wasted land. It's, it's, it's just nothing. It's not anything. It's, 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 it has no inhabitants. It's empty, void. So the, the earth's first description is God creates matter, and then there's this orb. We don't know what shape it is. We think it's round, but it it's, doesn't really have a lot of form to it. It's formless, and then there's no inhabitants on it, formless and void. Another way to say that the earth was unfinished. It's not finished here. It's going to be created, but it's not finished. So we're, we're given a little bit of insight here. The material was there, that's God, or that's verse 1, Rashith Elohim, in the beginning God, bara. That's, that's the material. And now we're getting this next view, and it's all dark still, this, that's what's interesting, we, but we get the material in verse 1, and now we have this unformed, unpopulated, vo vo void and formless place. Then Moses gives us this detail too. It's darkness on the face of the deep. The whole universe is engulfed in this darkness, absolute darkness, no light. He's going to create light. We're going to look at that next week, but darkness on the face of the deep. And the deep there, the deep there is a reference to the sea. So here you have the earth, it's dark, but it's all water. It's formless and void, but there's no land mass. It's just all water at this point. It's just a, you know, you, we can't see it. It's hard to, I was going to say envision this, but there's no light. How can you, how can you envision it? It's formless. It's void. It's, it's deep. That, that has the idea of seas there, the, the word. So you have the whole earth engulfed in darkness. It includes the surface of the water, the deep. And the entire surface of the water, it's like this global ocean surrounded by universal darkness. Here's a great proverb that kind of connects here. Proverbs 8:27. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. 
So this proverb is really interesting. It's kind of at creation, he's drawing a circle. He's forming. He's going to form the earth. And this, the sequence, God speaks matter into existence, then the, the waste place without inhabitants, total emptiness, then the earth engulfed with total darkness and this unshaped ball of water. Very interesting. Then the third thing Moses says here in verse 2 is the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the water. And that word hovering there is the word rakhoff, and God's Spirit is hovering. God's Spirit is there. It's, it's the third person of the Trinity here. This is an inference to the Holy Spirit involved in creation. Elohim, plural, name for God, Father, Son, Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit. He's superintending the creation. He's involved in it. He, he's overseeing it, superintending all of it. It's, I've got too many notes here for you, even this evening. I, I, I want to show you something here in just a moment. I'm going to show you this video. We're going to end with a video tonight. But let me just make real quick application in just the things that I've said. The beginning of creation is God. He is the beginning. He owns it all. He speaks it all into existence. God didn't create the world and walk away. God is superintending everything. He was superintending every bit of creation. He was there every moment of every day. And God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He will never leave or forsake. He's always here. He's superintending us even now. And I, I truly believe that. Genesis 1 tells us that God went into great detail preparing this world for us. The, the planet that we know is the only place that can support life. Notice this little map I have on the back. NASA calls this space this specific place between the sun and the, the outer solar system, it's called the Goldilocks zone. I don't know if you ever heard that before. I'd never heard that. The Goldilocks zone is a place that's not too close to the sun, but not too far away either. If we were one degree closer to the sun, we'd fry. If we were one degree further, we'd freeze. If the moon was any closer, the tides would destroy the, the coast. The tides would be so great and big. If the moon was any farther away, the oceans would die because there wouldn't be any tidal current and, and waves and all that stuff happening to, to produce all the life around all the reefs and all. Jupiter protects the earth from asteroids and comets that would pepper the earth. If, gra if earth's gravity was any stronger... It would remain too much, there would be too much gases, ammonia and methane. We wouldn't be able to breathe. If our oceans were half their size, rainfall would be reduced by such an effect the planet would, would dry up. If they were any larger, we'd get a lot more rain and we'd flood. Everything is precisely done in God's perfect way. So I want you to cue up this video. We're going to end with this video tonight. It's about five minutes 